All right, how are we doing this morning? All right, excited right there. Good deal. Hey, it's good to be here with you. Uh, my name is Isaac, and I'm one of the pastors here at The Experience. I oversee our discipleship ministry, so our following Jesus process, authentic discipleship, I oversee those, and it's a pleasure to be here uh, with you this morning. So we have a lot of ground to cover. We're in the book of Matthew. We've been in Matthew this whole year. And if you're new here, we go through whole books of the Bible, chapter by chapter, line by line, verse by verse. And uh, we've been going through, we were in the first half of Matthew 26, we're going to be the second half today, it's, it's a lot to cover, all right? So I want to jump right into it. And before we get to Matthew, I'm curious this morning, uh, have any of you uh, ever heard of the author Leo Tolstoy? Any, any Leo Tolstoy fans in here? <laughs> a few, okay, a few of you, all right? Um, all right, he, well, if you don't know him, he's well known for the book War and Peace, like it's kind of one of his big books that he wrote. And I'm not going to refer to that book, actually, though. I'm going to refer to a book that I read probably about four years ago called The Death of Ivan Ilyich, Ilyich by Leo Tolstoy. Has anybody ever read that book, The Death of Ivan Ilyich? Okay, a few of you. There was one of the services I asked that, and I was on an island up here. No one had ever heard of that book. So there's a quote that has stuck out. Uh, it's left a mark on my mind for years. And as I was studying Matthew, this, this quote has come to mind over and over as I was studying through Matthew 26. And before I share it with you, for those of you who have not read that book, which is many of you, uh, this book is about a guy, Ivan, right, who is a lawyer, and he becomes more and more successful. He ascends the ranks. He becomes a judge, and he's very well known and becomes successful in public opinion, as the world defines success. But another part of that book, it chronicles his personal life. He doesn't have a great marriage. He neglects his kids. And at the end of life, right, as the title of the book, The Death of Ivan Ilyich, suggests, right, he eventually gets on his deathbed, spoiler alert, and as he's on his deathbed, he reflects on his life, and we see this quote that has come to mind. He says this, it is, if, it is as if I had been going downhill while I imagined I was going up, and that is really what it was. I was going up in public opinion, but to the same extent, life was ebbing away from me. Now it is all done, and there is only death. It's a real strong, encouraging start this morning, right? Real good word to start with. I want you to think about this thought, because we're going to return to it again and again. Which direction is your life heading? If you were to think about it and reflect, which direction is your life going? Is it going up, or is it heading down? Which way is it going? As I mentioned, we are in the book of Matthew, and last week, Pastor Corey, if you are new, our lead pastor, Pastor Corey Trimble, is who you would typically hear from, and he's been going through Matthew, and he covered Matthew chapter 26, 1 through 30. It was a very, very powerful message. If you weren't here or you're new, please check that out. It's a very, very powerful message, and the big idea and the question that led to the big idea was this. Will we take the next step in knowing who Jesus is? Will you take that step? That is a very important question. We ask it often at the experience. Do you know your next step? Are you taking your next step to walk with Jesus, to know Jesus, and to disciple like Jesus? The big idea this morning in the second half of Matthew 26 is this. In weakness, God brings power. The way down in the kingdom is actually the way up. So before we jump into it and start breaking it down in, 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 in 31 through 75 in chapter 26, you should have got a notes handout when you came in, uh, a little paper handout. If you didn't get that, that's okay. The Experience Community app is a really, really good app. As soon as you open that thing up, you can click on sermon notes, uh, or you can look at the TVs. All the notes will be on there, everything I'm going to talk about. If you're watching online, it should be the notes at the bottom of the screen. You can follow along there as well, all right? So I'm going to pray, and then we'll jump into Scripture and break it down this morning. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. And just to be here, God, the very breath in our lungs, we're grateful for that. God, what a blessing. God, we pray for the other churches in our community, Lord, for their success. God, for churches in our state and around the world who are trying to make disciples, who are trying to faithfully follow you and your word. God, we pray that you would help them. God, we pray for the other nonprofits in, in our community, for nonprofits who lift up your name and who are trying to bring heaven to earth, God. We pray for their success. Help them, God, so that people can see you through them. We love you, Jesus, and we pray these things in your name, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, here we go, 31 through 35. It says this, 
Then Jesus said to them, and if you were here last week, you know they were just up in the upper room taking communion together, right? They're all together, Jesus and his disciples. Jesus says to them, tonight all of you will fall away because of me, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have risen, I will go ahead of you to Galilee. Peter told him, even if everyone falls away because of you, I will never fall away. It's a bold statement, Peter. Truly, I tell you, Jesus said, tonight before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Even if I have to die with you, Peter told him, I will never deny you. And all the disciples said the same thing. They agreed with Peter. We're not gonna deny you. We won't scatter. We won't run away. So after the disciples share this meal together in the upper room, they head out and they go to the Mount of Olives. The Mount of Olives oversees Jerusalem. If you've ever seen that picture, kind of looks out over Jerusalem. It's where the Mount of Olives is. So they go up there to, to pray and Jesus gives the disciples some really tough news. He says, listen, you guys are going to scatter. You're going to run away from me. And he wasn't just making this up. Jesus wasn't just like pulling this out of nowhere. It was from the word of God. He was quoting Zechariah 12. If you, if some of you in your Bibles might have a little asterisk, and at the bottom, it tells you that that is from Zechariah. And that's what Jesus is doing. He's telling them, this is God's word. This is taking place. And not only that, he had the whole context of Zechariah in mind. It's really fascinating. If you go back and read Zechariah 12, 13, and 14, it talks about this conquering king who will be pierced and who will rise and who will pour out his spirit. It's a really fascinating chapter. And Jesus has all this context in mind. He's just telling them the word of God. God incarnate, the word as flesh, is also quoting the word. But Peter wasn't having it though, right? He completely disagreed. He was like, no, not having it. I'm not gonna deny you. I'm not gonna scatter. I'm not gonna run. And Jesus has to remind him it's the truth. He says, truly, I tell you, this is the truth. I am truth. I'm telling you, this is going to happen. <clears throat> and it brings up, <clears throat> excuse me, it brings up a powerful point here that we have to kind of notice in this first section. You see, if God says something, right? Jesus is saying something. He's, he's talking about the word. If God says something, then it's true. It doesn't matter how much we may disagree with it. And there's some things in scripture we might read and go, I don't like that. I disagree with it. It, it, it rubs me the wrong way. It pushes me, impresses me, and challenges me. That if God's word says something, then it's true. Are you with me this morning? Are you with me? I asked that in one of the services on Saturday. Someone said, no. <laughs> Hopefully you stay with me here. See, Peter argued with Jesus, even though Jesus promised restoration. It's so fascinating. Jesus told them, listen, I'm gonna rise again and I'm gonna meet you in Galilee. He says, there's gonna be, there's gonna be pain. You're, you're gonna scatter, but there is hope. Did, did you hear what Jesus said? Did you, did you miss that? Right? He says, after I have risen, I will go ahead of you and I'll meet you in Galilee. But they missed that. They completely missed it. And again, it brings us to a point in which we have to look at scripture and, and, and say, we cannot pick and choose what God says. We have to listen to all of it for it to make an impact in our lives. We have to read the Bible in context. We can't just take one little scripture out and one thing here, take what we like and leave the rest. We have to read it all in context for it to make an impact in our lives. We say it a lot here at The Experience. I know Pastor Corey says it often here. Listen, we have to read the Bible in context. We cannot just take little things out and then try to apply it to our lives. And it's true here. They completely missed it because they weren't listening to all of it. You know, I love the Chinese buffet. Anybody a fan of a Chinese buffet? Huge fan. Big fan of the Chinese buffet. Love it. <laughs> right? So when I walk in, by the way, my wife hates Chinese buffets. Absolutely hates it. Very unhealthy. But I love the Chinese buffet because I can walk in and I can just take all the unhealthy stuff that I want and just pile my plate up as I go in. And if you ever see me in a Chinese buffet, you will not see any greenery on there. It is all junk on that plate. My wife, on the other hand, she loves to eat healthy. She likes to have a meal plan. She likes to have a sense of order in, in what she does for planning and meals. That's just how she is. And it's healthier that way because to pick and choose what I want when I want is unhealthy. And it's true with God's word as well. You see, Peter didn't listen to what Jesus had to say because he didn't like everything that he had to say. He didn't like the fact that he said he would scatter and he would walk away and deny Jesus. 
So instead of humbly responding and listening, he was self-reliant. So instead of saying, okay, I hear you. There's gonna be some pain, but you gave us hope. You're gonna rise again and you're gonna meet us. It's all gonna be good. Instead of hearing that, he was like, you know what? I'm not gonna deny you. I'm gonna do it. I, 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 me, 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 I'll do it. That's how we are, aren't we? Jesus says to pick up your cross, to sacrifice, to go and make disciples, to make time for him and to build for his kingdom. And we're like, that sounds really, really good. I would like to make an impact for the kingdom. I would like to make a difference, but I wanna do it on my terms when I'm not so busy. And I got a lot going on, Jesus. You know, you should take note of what I have happening. I'm gonna do things my way when I want. We'll get to this Jesus thing and making disciples later. You see, being a Jesus follower means we listen and, and submit even when we don't like it, even when we're not sure, even when it's hard, we listen and we submit. Because when we do, we find that peace and the hope and the mercy and the goodness of the kingdom. The way down is actually the way up in the kingdom. Are you still with me? Are you still with me this morning? Let's take another look here at 36 through 45. It says this, then Jesus came with them to a place called Gethsemane, and he told the disciples, sit here while I go over there and pray. Taking along Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, which from context, we know that's James and John from other parts of scripture. It says, he began to be sorrowful and troubled with them. He said to them, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake with me. Going a little further, he fell face down and prayed. My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. He asked Peter, so couldn't you stay awake with me just one hour? Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, hear this, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, a second time he went away and prayed, my father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And he came again and found them sleeping because they couldn't keep their eyes open. After leaving them, he went away again and prayed a third time, saying the same thing once more, not my will, but yours. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, are you still sleeping and resting? See, the time is near. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. The time is near. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed in the hands of sinners. So we see in this first part of this section here that that Jesus is modeling obedience by investing in a few and then praying faithfully just as he taught. So it's interesting because as you read through the Gospels, right, and you, you look at the life of Jesus, what he does is he pours into the few, invests in them, and, and he makes disciples. He took the 12, and then he takes the three aside, Peter, James, and John. This is something he's done over and over, and we see it here. He's modeling obedience again. And then he's going and he's praying faithfully to the Father, just as he taught in the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. You guys are familiar with that, correct? Our Father, who is in heaven, blessed be your name. He's praying that. How do we know that we are obedient disciples of Jesus? How do we know if we're being obedient followers? Some of us may wonder, am I doing it right? Am I living after Jesus right? Am I doing it? We look at the life of Jesus. We take time to pull a few other people aside and we model transparency and humility through prayer. Listen to what Jesus says in this passage. He takes them aside and he says, I am deeply grieved to the point of death. He was sorrowful and troubled. Do we take people aside and and model transparency and honesty with them? Do we do that in our lives? Are we doing that? Who are the people that you're pulling aside in your life, that you're faithfully praying for and praying with? Who are you investing in to make disciples in your life? That's what Jesus did, modeling obedience in discipleship and prayer. Now listen, Jesus didn't model this obedience in some superhuman way. Some of us are like, yeah, of course he did that. He was Jesus, of course, right? And we can sometimes think, well, that was Jesus. Life is tough. Listen, here's a little piece of theology, actually it's a big piece of theology, what we believe about God as Christians. If we commit to Jesus, we believe this piece of theology that yes, he was fully God, but he also was fully human. He was fully human just like us. And so to walk that road of obedience was excruciating and painful to be obedient and submissive to the Father. I mean, just listen to what he says. He says, I am grieved to the point of death. Have you ever been there? 
I mean, he was, it was painful to be obedient. But hear this. Jesus connects with our hum- humanity and he connects with our pain. He knows us. And this is what gives me great comfort and peace as, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. Christianity stands alone in the belief that God feels our hurt. You know, there's other religions in the world that think it's absurd. Like God can't feel our pain. He's, he's, he's far beyond us. He can't know us. But we believe in Christianity that God came to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. So he knows our pain. He knows what it means to be human. Listen, he is present with our grief and our sadness. Maybe that's for someone today. In this Christmas season, perhaps you find yourself feeling lonely, distant, and separated from others. Listen, God is with you, and he connects with your pain and your loneliness. He's there. He's present. Our God is not distant. He also knows the struggle of the will. Have you ever been there where you know you shouldn't be doing something? You know God wills something better for you, and you're grappling with it? I don't know if anyone's ever been there. Or you know you're called to do something for God and serve and, and, and build for his kingdom, but you're like, man, I'm so busy and I, I don't want to do this. And you're like, God, help me. Jesus knows that struggle. He knows us. He can relate with it. And that's a beautiful, beautiful thing to know and understand. But despite connecting with our human nature, Jesus still humbly submitted to the Father. And he prayed the prayer that he taught. That's what I love about Jesus. He teaches us things, and he actually did what he taught. He put it into practice and action. He taught the Lord's Prayer, and he prayed it. He said, our Father in heaven, not my will, but your will. And he knew that submitting was the way to victory, even though it was painful and hard to do. Listen, obedience as a Jesus follower means we submit to God's will and not our own. Now listen, that is easy to say. That is really easy to say. It's very hard to do to submit our will to God's. And some of you may think, well, okay, all right, how do I submit my will to God? How do I do that? How do do I know God's will? How do I know God's will to submit to his will? Well, first of all, we we, we look at God's word and we read it. Talked to someone not too long ago and we were talking about discipleship and what some next steps are. And it was interesting because he was like, man, I haven't probably read my Bible in, in, in years. I was like, man, you need to do that. Get the thing open and start reading and devouring it and eating it and getting to know it because you cannot submit to God's will if you don't know God's will. The other way we know God's will is through community. Man, get in a life group, start serving, start getting Christian community. The more you get around other believers who are trying to follow Jesus, we'll have accountability and conviction and we'll be able to submit to God's will. And in that submission, we find the victory and the hope and the peace and the goodness of the kingdom. So three times Jesus finds the disciples sleeping, right? He goes and he prays. He comes back. He's like, you're sleeping. And he goes and prays. He comes back and they're sleeping three times. They were unable to pray alongside Jesus. And I think Jesus recognized something there and he recognizes it in all of us, right? He recognizes we're going to make mistakes, aren't we? Anybody perfect here? You come up and teach me how to do it, right? I don't know if anybody is perfect, but... We make mistakes, and I think Jesus recognizes we make mistakes. He recognized the disciples were going to make mistakes. He recognizes it in us. And that's why he taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer, the Our Father. He taught us to pray, forgive us our sins as we forgive others who sin against us, and lead us not into what? Temptation. That's what he's saying here. Listen to what he says in this passage. He says, get up and pray so you won't enter into temptation. Listen, we have to confess our sins and failures on a regular basis. If we are following Jesus, we have to confess our sins and failures on a regular basis to other Christians, to God. We need to have that as a practice in our life. That's why he taught us to pray that public prayer to forgive us our sins. Now, listen, if you've confessed something, it's done and it's over, right? But if listen, we make mistakes. We, we have bad attitudes and we need to confess it. And we need to do it regularly, not only that, Jesus teaches us in the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer, that we need to be proactive. Lead us away from temptation. Deliver us from evil. So if I know that my phone or my computer or this time of day, I need to submit it to God and pray, God, lead me away from this temptation. Deliver me from evil. Because here's the truth. Confession causes sin to lose power and helps us to overcome. It's in confession and in humility when we do that that we find victory and hope and peace and purity and goodness. There is nothing like having a pure heart and a pure mind with nothing weighing you down. There's nothing like it. 
There is nothing like it. See, the way down is the way up in the kingdom. You're still with me this morning. Still with me. All right, next section, 46 through 56. Jesus said, get up, let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, suddenly arrived. A large mob with swords and clubs was with him from the chief priests and the elders of the people. His betrayer had given them a sign. The one I kiss, he's the one, arrest him. So immediately he went up to Jesus and said, greetings, rabbi, and kissed him. Friend, Jesus asked him, why have you come? Then they came up, took hold of Jesus, and arrested him. At that moment, one of those with Jesus reached out his hand and drew his sword. He struck the high priest's servant and cut off his ear. And Jesus told him, put your sword back in its place, because all who take up the sword will die by the sword. Or do you think that I cannot call on my father, and he will provide me here and now with more than 12 legions of angels? How then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At the same time, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out with swords and clubs as if I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I used to sit teaching in the temple and you didn't arrest me. But all this has happened so that the writings of the prophets would be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and ran away. All the disciples deserted him and ran away, just like they said they wouldn't. So the the kiss that Judas gives Jesus is a really special kind of betrayal. It was sort of a double betrayal. Instead of saying, hey, here he is, here's the guy, let's get him, and just betraying him, he gave him a kiss that signified allegiance and friendship. That's what that kiss signified. So he came up and said, I'm allegiant to you, we are friends, and it was signifying betrayal instead of what it actually meant. It was like this double betrayal. It was a really kind of painful way to betray someone. But what does Jesus do instead of this you know, responding in, in, in anger to this double betrayal. What does he call him? He calls him friend. He says, hey, friend, what are you up to? Are you really thinking about what you're doing? This wasn't sarcasm that Jesus was using when he called him friend. He wasn't being sarcastic. Jesus loved Judas. It's the character of God as we read through the gospels. That is the character of God. He loved him. Now, Judas was this tragic figure. Some believe he was ordained, set apart to to betray Jesus so that Jesus would be able to go to the cross to Calvary. Whether he was, you know, set apart to do that particular betrayal, I believe he had the opportunity for redemption after the fact. I believe he still had the opportunity to, to confess and say, I'm sorry, and to be broken because Jesus offered that. He loved him even despite his betrayal. Repentance was available for him. Listen, this, this might not be for everyone, but, but this might be for someone. Listen, it doesn't matter how bad you've messed up. We can see it so clear in the gospel here. It doesn't matter how much junk you may have or how bad you think you may have sinned, how bad you may have messed up. Jesus loves you and offers redemption for you. Believe me, in the community of Jesus followers, he loves you and you're welcome no matter how bad you think you have messed up and sinned. Jesus loves you and offers that Redemption. So earlier in Matthew, we, we, we again have been in Matthew all year, and earlier on in, in the year, we've, we're in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, which is the Sermon on the Mount. If you ever want to know some of the practical ways of following Jesus, the Sermon on the Mount is a really, really powerful place to go. In fact, that guy, Leo Tolstoy, he became a believer by reading the Sermon on the Mount. It was like changed his heart and his mind. But earlier on, Jesus says this. He says to love your enemies and to pray for those who persecute you, right? He taught his disciples. He, he, he taught them, this is what you're supposed to do. This is what the kingdom of God is all about. And Peter forgot. He completely forgot about it. And we know that Peter forgot because he was the one who took out a sword and, 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 and went to go chop off that guy's head. And we know it's Peter, even though this passage doesn't say it. In fact, Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't name the disciple. It just says, a disciple pulled out a sword. But we know it's Peter because the Gospel of John says it was Peter. He mentions that it was Peter. And I think John did that just to make sure no one ever thought it was him in the annals of history. He just wanted to make sure, like, hey, just to be clear here, like, it was not me. It was Peter. But John names Peter, so, so we know that's who it was, right? And Peter, he likely was not going for the ear. It says he chopped off an ear but he was probably going for the head. He was probably trying to kill the guy. And, and the guy probably moved and got his ear chopped off, right? He, he, was, he was like trying to kill him. But that's what we do, right? That's what the world and the flesh does. We want to fight back, push back, 
fight for your rights. Don't tread on me. When someone gets at us, we want to get back at them. We don't want anyone ever to get the best of you. You want to get the best of them. That's, that's kind of how the world is, isn't it? We want to strike back. Listen, the way of Jesus is so radical. As a follower of Jesus, if we're going to truly follow him, his way is so incredibly different. Jesus' way is about submission. It's about forgiveness. It's about service. It's about love. And that goes against our nature, doesn't it? We're like, man, Jesus sounds like a pushover. That just goes against our nature. Like, we need to fight back. Like, let's get back at people. And it's so incredibly different in the kingdom. You see, Jesus knew that true power does not come from the world. And right? he's like, put that thing away. That's not where power comes from. Put that sword away. Peter thought this is where power comes from, to fight back. This world thinks power comes from all sorts of different places. And Jesus saying, that's not it. That's not it. See, following Jesus means living in peace, forgiving our enemies, loving those who bother us. Have anyone in your life who bothers you, rubs you the wrong way? We're called to love those who we disagree with. You know, Christmas is coming up. I don't know if you're gonna have that uncle at the table at Christmas that always wants to bring up those conspiracy theories, you know, and you're gonna have to sit there with them. We're called to love them. And to be patient and kind. We're even called to love those who hurt us. Are you with me? We're called to love those who even betray us, who stab us in the back, who have hurt us in some really painful ways. Listen, this can only happen through God's help within us. Listen to what Jesus says. He says, my, my power doesn't come from this world. He said, if I call on my Father, he will provide for me legions of angels. True power comes from God. We can only do these things through the help of God. Call on my Father, and he will provide. Call on my Father, and he will provide. Listen to the words of Jesus. Who do you need help loving in your life? Who is it that you need help loving? Maybe it is a family member. Maybe it is someone that you're like, man, they just... Maybe it's a coworker that, that just bothers you. Who is it that you need help loving? Are you trusting in Jesus to provide and to help you to love, or are you running from him? Look at the very end of this section, right? Like it says, all the disciples deserted him and ran away. You know, I get this sense that Peter was like, let's fight, let's do this thing, let's chop off some heads, let's get back at them, we're gonna protect you, Jesus, we're gonna do this thing. Jesus said, no, 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 that's not where my power comes from. And they're like, what? Like, we're out of here. We don't, we don't know. Are you trusting Jesus to provide or are you running from him? The way down in submission to the king is a way up for us. Next section, 57 through 68. It says, those who had arrested Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had convened. Peter, there he is again, our friend Peter, was following him at a distance right to the high priest's courtyard. He went in and was sitting with the servants to see the outcome. The chief priests and the whole Sanhedrin were looking for false testimony against Jesus so they could put him to death. But they could not find any, even though many false witnesses came forward. Finally, two who came forward say, this man said, I can destroy the temple of God and rebuild it in three days. It's interesting because he's actually misquoting Jesus there. It's not what he said. If you go back and look at what he actually said, that's, that's not it. He's lying. The high priest stood up and said to him, don't you have an answer to what these men are testifying against you? But Jesus kept silent. The high priest said, I charge you under oath by the living God. Tell us if you are the Messiah, the son of God. You have said it, Jesus told him. But I tell you in the future, you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his robes and said, he is blasphemed. Why do we still need any witnesses? See, you now heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? They answered, he deserves death. And they spit in his face. They beat him. And others slapped him and said, prophesy to us, Messiah. Who was it that hit you? Who was it that hit you? So the ones who are in political power in the nation of Israel, they're, they're the ones who are controlling this situation here. As we kind of read through this section, it's the leaders of Israel who are controlling and, 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 and taking control of the situation, controlling the narrative as well. 
And, and how are they doing this? As we read through this, they're doing it through manipulation. They're doing it through, through lies. They're doing it through bullying. Have you ever experienced that before in your life? Hopefully not, because that's quite a painful thing. But have you, ever, have you ever experienced gossip and lies and manipulation and bullying by other people who, who, who want to think they're in power over you? And, and, and it's really fascinating to me that these are religious people. Like these are the religious leaders. It's not just like the Roman leaders who, you know, use other tactics to take control, brute force, but they're using manipulation and lies. They're religious leaders. Now, before we beat them up too bad, we all want power and influence, don't we? Like it's, it feels nice to be in control of situations, to have influence, to have power, to have a say in things. We all want our voice to matter, don't we? I mean, that's how we are. Like we want to be known and to, to have our voice matter, to have influence, to have power over situations. But we confuse, and they confused what true power was. They didn't know what true power was all about. You see, to keep worldly power, that's what we have to do. We have to lie. We have to blame. We have to gossip. We have to put other people down. Do you ever notice that? People who have worldly power and try to keep worldly power lie, gossip, and put others down. You ever notice that? I know I do. I've noticed that and seen that in our world. But what's really fascinating in this, this section of scripture, you see this contrast of power, right? You see this, this power dynamics, this clash of power. You see Jesus who's in custody. Think about this. He's in custody as a prisoner. He's in this weak, vulnerable position. And yet he proclaims this, I will be seated in the place of what? Power, power. See, Jesus stands before worldly power. That's what he does. And he confronts it and says, no, 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 that's not right. That's what his spirit does when we were like, man, I, I want, I want to, to, to ascend the ranks. I want to be known and be, and be the greatest and for people to like me and admire me. His spirit comes and confronts it and says, it's not about you. It's not about you. His spirit confronts power in our own hearts and minds and in the world. And that's what we should do as Jesus followers, as the church. We should look at the world and say, that's not right. That's not right. That's what we're called to do by God's spirit. And hear this, this is, the, this is the pinnacle of the gospel, right? From creation to revelation, the very pinnacle is Jesus's death and resurrection. And on the cross, he defeated sin. That's what he did. He put the rest sin. He defeated the gossip, the lies, the manipulation, the ascent of power. That's what he did on the cross. And if we submit, if we trust in King Jesus, we get true power deep within our souls to be able to live in peace, and goodness, and mercy, and grace, and love. The way down in submission is the way to true power in life. So as Jesus confronts the worldly power, what does it do to him, right? We read in this passage, he confronts the worldly power, and it slaps him in the face, spits on him, and it leads him away to slaughter. And I read this, and it's really fascinating to me, because it's, it's, the, it's the remarkable way of Jesus. It's this incredible way of Jesus, where he shows humility, and through suffering, brings him to true power and a true victory. Listen, as, as his followers, if you are a Jesus follower, if you call yourself a Christian, if you say, yes, I, I, I'm committed to follow after Jesus, we have to rethink what power and authority is. We have to model that. Listen, all of us at some level, I, I believe this, all of us at some level ha have influence. We have, we have a way to connect and influence people, whether we're a teacher, an administrator, whether we're a student, in our own family, we have influence with people. If you know someone, you have influence. And we have to really rethink what power and influence is all about. Listen, do you look out for the benefit of others? Do you do things because it'll make you look good, it will benefit your paycheck, or you do things to benefit other people? That's what Jesus did on the cross when he was battling the will to go and submit to the Father. It was to benefit other people. It wasn't for his benefit. Are we servants who are looking out for others to empower them? Have you thought about the ways in which your life can affect and empower other people? Are you submitted in that way to Jesus? Last part, 69 through 75. It says this, now Peter was sitting outside in the courtyard. A servant girl approached him and said, you were with Jesus the Galilean too. But he denied it in front of everyone. I don't know what you're talking about. When he had gone out to the gateway, another woman saw him and told those who were there, this man was with Jesus, the Nazarene. And again, he denied it with an oath. I don't know the man. And a little while 
those standing there approached and said to Peter, you really are one of them since even your accent gives you away. We can recognize you're from the same area. Then he started to curse and swear with an oath. I don't bleep and know the man. It's my interpretation in there, by the way. I didn't say bleeping, just so you know. I don't know the man. Immediately a rooster crowed and Peter remembered the words Jesus had spoken. Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly. He went outside and he wept bitterly. Listen, Jesus was a disciple, or excuse me, Peter was a disciple of Jesus, right? We know this from context. You can read through the gospels. We know Peter was a disciple. He was called by Jesus. He began to follow him. He walked with him. He talked with him. He listened to the things that he taught. He was around. You, you can look in the gospels. See, he was there. He was a follower of Jesus. But then he ends up adamantly denying, not just a little bit, but like adamantly denying that he even knew Jesus. I do not know. I swear I do not know him. And sometimes our lives are like that. We can hang around Jesus, right? We can come to church. We can know about Jesus. We can know church culture. We can look the part. Man, some of us can really look the part well. Like we can wear the label of Christian and yet end up living in a, in a way that denies that we even know Jesus. Are you with me this morning? Right, we, we can kind of just come and go and fit in and, and, and play the part, sing the songs, and never actually, actually really know Jesus. It could just be scary to us. Listen, I probably should have saved this question to, to the end, but I'll ask it now, and, and may we truly reflect on it. Are you an authentic follower of Jesus? Do you just hang around Jesus? Come to church every once in a while. Come and go. Or are we authentic followers of him? Making disciples, being obedient, and seeking God in prayer and confession. You see, Peter is this one constant through this section. We get to follow Peter as we follow Jesus' final hours, right? We follow Jesus' final hours, but we get to kind of follow Peter along this entire section of Scripture. And as we follow Jesus and we look at Peter, we see a couple of things with Peter. First, he adamantly denies he will ever scatter. He'll ever leave Jesus, right? He's like, I will never do that. I won't deny you. Then we see him fall asleep during prayer. Anybody ever been there, right? Where you're praying and you're like, oh, I'm a little tired. My eyes are heavy. I've been there. I've definitely been there in prayer. Then he tries to kill a man. I haven't been there and I hope you haven't either, right? Right? But Peter tries to kill someone. He tries to take his head off. Then he goes and he hides like a coward. Then we get to the climax in this section where Peter denies Jesus three times. He makes mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake, and it's painful to read. As you read this, it's kind of painful. It's sort of cringeworthy. Have you ever been there in your life where you've made mistake after mistake after mistake? Maybe you feel like, I just can't get it right. I can't get over this addiction. I can't seem to shake this fear and this anxiety. I, I, I can't do it. I make mistake after mistake. Have you, have you ever been there in your life? Have you ever been there? Peter was. Peter was there. Peter's this broken character, right? Littered with errors. But we have to keep this in mind. It was not the end. In fact, we can see this. The denials were not the end for, for, for Peter. Look at what it says at the end. It says he went outside and he wept bitterly, right? He remembered what Jesus said and then he was broken. He had a contrite heart. I find that really fascinating because earlier he didn't remember what Jesus said. He didn't remember what God's words were. He didn't remember to love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. He forgot, but he remembered here. He remembered Jesus's words and he had a contrite and broken heart. We also know this about Peter. He went on to start a movement. He, Jesus told him, you're, you're the rock in which I'll build my church upon. And the church grew. Listen, there are billions of Christians around the world. And we have hospitals in the name of Jesus. There's so much good that has been done in the name of Jesus. And Peter was a part of the start of that movement. He started with a couple disciples who went and made disciples, who went and made disciples. But for Peter, it started with brokenness. With a contrite heart, he wept bitterly. Listen, is our heart broken when we fail? When we make mistakes, is it truly broken? 
Listen, I'm not talking about sin in the past that you've confessed and have been broken over. It's done and it's over. Jesus forgives us and it's cast away. But when we make mistakes again, when we have a bad attitude, when we're not great to our spouse, when we lie or we try to play a part we're not, we need to confess and we need, we need to be broken for our failure. Listen, have you ever wept bitterly over your sin or the sin around you? Have you ever been broken because of the sin in your life? Now, you may think, well, that sounds really depressing, right? Are we just supposed to walk around as, as sort of weeping willows who are broken all the time? No, but in that brokenness, we find hope and we find strength and we find victory. This is odd paradox of life and of the kingdom. When we are broken and we weep bitterly, God brings strength and hope and healing in our lives. That's what he does. That's the power of the gospel. You still with me this morning? Are you here? Don't be like that guy on Saturday. No, <laughs> you with me? Listen, Christmas is, is just about two weeks away, right? It's about two weeks away. Some of you may be thinking, oh boy, gotta get those Christmas gifts. <laughs> gotta buy for my spouse. Which, by the way, I got my wife one gift, all right? Head of the curve here, yeah, all right? Listen, Christmas is great, right? We celebrate a lot of things. We get together with family. There's gifts. It's, this is a great season. It really is. But sometimes we really forget as, as Christians what it's all about. It's so fascinating what, what Christmas is, is celebrating. We're celebrating that the God of the universe, right? This intelligent designer who's so far beyond our mind, this God comes to earth. That's what we celebrate. In fact, this last week, um, I was teaching a class on, on the existence of God. There's some guys in the church and we're teaching through this class. And it was really fascinating because I was doing some reading on, on something called fine-tuning. I don't know if anyone's ever heard that term, fine-tuning. I don't understand much of it. There's people way smarter than me that understand about it. But, but kind of the gist of it, of it is that the, the, the universe is finely tuned. Things like oxygen and, and gravity and, and all these things. Molecules, they're so precisely tuned that they're off just a little bit. Things would be thrown into chaos. We wouldn't have life as it is. And it's so fascinating and profound that we believe that the God of the universe ordered things. He was the one who intelligently designed and, and put these things together. It's that God who came to earth as a baby. It seems almost absurd that this God would come as a little, helpless, innocent, human baby and take on flesh to know us and to love us and to redeem us. Right? God came as a humble baby. Now listen, Jesus will come again in all of his power and glory. I believe that. In fact, I mean, it's what he says. He will come again and he'll return and he will, he will bring back those, his faithful, and he will, every, every tongue will confess. Every knee will bow when Jesus comes again. Now listen, Advent kind of has two meanings. I don't know if you know this, but you know, Advent is this great anticipation season and we kind of celebrate and, and remember the anticipation of, of God coming to earth, right? Jesus coming as a baby. We kind of celebrate and look back on that anticipation of Jesus coming, but also has a, a double meaning. In fact, I was sitting down with my, my kids this past week at dinner. They're five and seven. And we're doing the Advent chocolates. You ever see those like Advent chocolates? You know, the 25 things, you pop out the chocolates. And I was sitting with my kids and, and I really wanted them to know this and understand about the double meaning. And I was like, listen, you know, that it's a celebration of, of God coming in the flesh, but we're also anticipating the coming of God again. He's gonna come again and every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And I was excited around the table and my kids were like, Dad, can we just get the chocolate? You know, like, <laughs> on with it, man. You know, like, give us the chocolate. But it is a double meaning in Advent. We are anticipating that God is going to come again, and he will come again in all of his power and glory. But listen, for God, it started with humble submission. He came as a baby. He voluntarily laid down his power and his glory, and he came in flesh. And that's where we have to begin, too, with humble submission. That's where we have to begin as his followers, we grow when we submit to Jesus. Listen, there's all sorts of things that may be going on in your life and in your mind and in your soul. And only you and God know some of those things. But let me ask, what do you need to submit to God today? What is it that you need to submit? Maybe it is a sin. Maybe there is some sort of addiction or something you've been hiding and hiding and stowing away. And you know you need to give it to God and submit it. Listen, as a part of our experience, community church, right? 
our culture is this. Confession is always rewarded and not punished. We celebrate the fact that people would bring things out because we know that you'll get power and freedom when you do. Maybe you need to submit a family member to God or a situation or your career. What do you need to submit to God? Maybe it is fear and anxiety that overwhelms you. What do you need to submit to him today? You and God probably know that best. What is it? You know, there's a few things that all of us as believers need to submit. First of all, we need to submit to listening to and obeying God's word. We need to submit to it. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? You actually spend time in it and believe the words and believe the story of God that reflects and hits us. Do you believe it? This past week, someone sent me a message and they were really struggling with a, with, with a part of scripture. Like, man, this is a really difficult part of scripture and I'm having a hard time with it. And so I went back and I read it and I was like, I'm having a hard time with it too. Like, it's really hard. I was like struggling with the text and I was really trying to, to grapple with it because it was a really hard thing to, to understand and to, to really reconcile. And we tend to do one of two things when it comes to God's word. Some people will have this approach where, hey, just believe it, don't worry about it, don't struggle with it, just, just take it as it is and, and, and don't worry. Or some people will say, listen, it's hard and difficult and it makes no sense, like this is sort of make-believe, like don't, don't, don't even spend time with it, don't, don't believe in it. And I don't think we have to choose one of those two things. We can wrestle with the text. As Jacob wrestled with God, we can wrestle with God and say, I'm not sure about this, I'm struggling with this. God, help me, because we learn in that. Do you believe this text? Do you spend time in it? We need to submit to it and listen to it if we're gonna be obedient disciples of Jesus. We also must submit our will to God's will. Again, that is really easy to say, really difficult to do. Listen, are we trying to fix situations with our own efforts? If you go back to that, that, that text, it's interesting because it says, it notes that the disciple used his hand to take out the sword. He literally was trying to take the situation into his own hand. Are you doing that? Are you trying to fix situations? Are you trying to fix your family? Are you trying to fix it? Are you trying to do it all on your own? Are you vying for the power and control in your workplace or in your family dynamic? Are you, are you trying to be the one who is always in charge and, and taking rule? Are you submitted over to the will of God and what he wants for your life and your family and your work and with the things that you have? We also must submit our brokenness to build for God's kingdom. Listen, it doesn't matter how much junk you think you may have, how, how, how duplicitous you may have been, how, man, how much fears or anxieties, if we just submit it, we can build for God's kingdom. We have to submit our brokenness. We can't pretend like things are all good all the time. When we come and submit our brokenness, we're more ready to build for God's kingdom. Are we building disciples in our lives or are we building our own comforts? Are we building our life in such a way that we take no risk and we're building our 401ks and we're building our lifestyle and our house where it's all good on the outside? Or are we submitting to God in a way that we are making disciples, that we're investing in a few, that we're pouring into our family, we're pouring into our neighbors, into our coworkers? Listen, you don't have to be very far ahead. You just have to be one step ahead. If you're here, you're one step ahead. There's someone out there who needs to know Jesus through you. Are you building for God's kingdom or are you building your life of comfort? Where are we at this morning? So let me ask one more time before we end. What direction is your life headed? Is it going up by the world standard? You're ascending the ranks and it's all good from the outside. But on the inside, you know it's not going up, but downhill. Maybe it is going downhill in a good way, in a sense of submission. I know there are people here. I can look out and I can know people that I've known and that I know they've submitted and there's fruit of that. There's goodness. There's people they've invested in and there's been fruit of that investment and they are submitted and they are on the sort of kingdom way down in submission. Maybe it's, maybe it's downhill by the world standard and things are not going well and you're like, it's not going well. I need to submit my life over to God. I need to submit. Which way is your life headed? You know, this week I came across this Puritan poem. The Puritans were a group of Christians in the 1700s, I believe 1700s, who really wanted to get back to biblical truth, to get back to the word of God, to take people back to, to scripture, to have authentic Christians. 
and I came across this poem that's called Valley of Vision. The big idea of the poem is this. In the valley, we start to get true vision and clarity down in the depths. I like to end with this. The poem says, let me learn by paradox that the way down is the way up, that to be low is to be high, that the broken heart is the healed heart, that the contrite spirit is the rejoicing spirit, that the repenting soul, hear this, is the victorious soul, that to have nothing is to possess all, and that to bear the cross is to wear the crown, to bear the cross is to wear the crown. Will you pray with me this morning? With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning, there's a few ways in which we can respond. We can submit to God this morning. One of the ways you can do that is to my right and your left, right next to the stage is Pastor Greg. He's our executive pastor here. And he would love to talk with you. Listen, I beg you, if you're here today and you're not sure about faith, you're kind of on the edge or maybe you feel like I'm, I'm a failure. I don't know if I could believe in God. Please, please, I beg you to come and talk to Pastor Greg. It'll make all the difference to talk with you, help you get started on taking next steps with Jesus. Another way in which you can respond today is there are men and women on both sides of the stage. If maybe this morning you, you know that there's some things you need to confess, or maybe there's a situation you're trying to control and you need to submit it over to God, please come and pray with someone. Again, confession is rewarded and not punished in this place. Come and confess and give it over and submit it to God in prayer. The last way in which you can respond is through communion. When you came in, you should have maybe gotten a little cup with juice in it and a wafer. Listen, as we take that, we remember, as Peter remembered the words of Jesus, remember. First of all, we remember that Jesus died once and for all for sin and for death. All the lies, all the gossip, he put the rest on a cross. We remember that in communion. But secondly, we remember and reflect on the fact that Jesus is present. God is with us in our pain and our loneliness. As that juice hits your lips and you touch that wafer, it's a reminder Jesus is present and near to you. He's near to us. And the last thing we remember when we take communion is that one day we will celebrate in fullness with God. We will dine with him at the great banquet table when he returns in power and glory. And communion is a reminder of that to those who are faithful as we confess our sins in communion. Heavenly Father, I'm so grateful for your word. May it change us and move us and help us to be more like you. May we leave this place, God, as authentic followers of you, looking for people to invest in God submitted to you and your kingdom. We love you and pray these things in your name. In Jesus' name, amen.